welcome to the foot of the rapids. Though within the catalog of this program, we do have an obligatory holiday episode, we are not thrilled with the idea of seasonal material, believing that the content of the foot of the rapids should be for study and entertainment at any time, and a theme based on a calendar date can really only be fully appreciated as those stars align. But based on the thought that the fort has not released an episode for some time, and at the urging of a few others within the community, perhaps a quick story today for the season of the dead. Again, welcome to the foot of the rapids. This story comes from early November, 1812, a short account from the Firelands Pioneer. The Firelands Pioneer is a wonderful resource which recorded the 19th century history of North Central Ohio along the Lake Erie shore. That region from say the Sandusky River eastward to the Vermilion River. During the War of 1812, this area would have included the United States post at Lower Sandusky and later Fort Stevenson, also Camp Avery on the Huron River, and one of really only two roads leading east-west across the northern portion of the state. This quick tale comes in the aftermath of the Battle of Marblehead Peninsula, fought within the Firelands region in late September of 1812. Ohio militia embattled and later surrounded by American Indians as part of a major coordinated native offensive all across the frontier that late summer and fall. A relief expedition and a burial party were dispatched from Camp Avery some 12 miles from the lakeshore to the northwest. Many of the bodies discovered were so badly decomposed that they could not be handled for burial and were simply covered with downed trees and felled logs into a kind of makeshift frontier mausoleum. Involving some civilians, we pick up the story here now directly from the Firelands Pioneer. In November, a Mr. Baird and Jacob Dustman were at Lower Sandusky and went to the Whitaker farm to get some turnips. And when getting into the patch, they discovered the head of a man, the body having been eaten up by hogs. They brought the head into camp and Adjutant Mackin directed it to lie on a boat turned bottom upwards and placed a guard over the head. Captain Murray saw it and said it was the head of Pomeroy, he thought. And to know with certainty, he said, if it was he, there should be a full set of teeth except one, which he had drawn out at Cleveland. An examination discovered only one tooth missing among a full set. The next day, 
Mr. Whitaker, the farmer, and Mr. Greer came to camp and said it was the head of Pomeroy, that the three were sitting together just one week before and were fired upon by Indians, and Pomeroy had been hit. The body had been only slightly buried, and the wild hogs had exhumed it, eaten all but the neck and head. And now for a bit of fiction and fun. Often on this program, we turn to poetry and music for displaying and unraveling the past. But here now, a poem from the 21st century, composed just last week by staff at Fort Meggs to darken the mood at the annual Garrison Ghost Walk, a storytelling event. While a fictional account is something that we have never touched on before, it does come with a factual history lesson. Here is the history. During the War of 1812, the American Army of the Northwest was principally stationed at Fort Meigs for the year 1813. The Army drew most of its water needs directly from the Maumee River, just 150 yards or so from the fort's walls. But in times of siege, the spring and summer of that year, the enemy would be surrounding the fort and the army trapped inside. Well, they needed a source of fresh water for the men, and a well had previously been dug in the northeast portion of the fort, and a semicircular traverse dug around it to shield it from British artillery. It was a crude structure, perhaps 14 feet deep, and lined on four sides, a square-shaped shaft, lined on four sides with pine wood planking. When archaeologists finally got down into the well in the mid-20th century, they were amazed at the intricacy, the beauty of the axe work that had been involved in this planking, the skill of the men that had constructed the fort. After the army's departure, the well was simply abandoned and the foregrounds grew cold and quiet. The well itself was filled in in 1840. And that year, the commanding general, William Henry Harrison, had returned to the old fort grounds for a political rally. Harrison was running for president as the Whig candidate. As the Whig candidate, he was pictured as sort of a man of the people, representing the frontier class of Americans at the time. And everywhere the campaign went, they built a small log cabin to symbolize the frontier person. And this was true at the Great Rally the summer of 1840 at the old Fort Meigs. But at night, the opposition party, the Democrats at this time, would sneak onto the property and tear down this little log cabin as kind of a cruel prank to play. Well, the rally was to last for three days, so the next day it was rebuilt, and the next night it was torn down, and the next day rebuilt. Finally, on the last night, as the opposition snuck on, 
and tore this little structure down. They took all the posts and the pilings, the entirety of the log cabin, and they jammed it down the old well, completely plugging it, filling it, and making it impossible for the posts to be extracted so that the log cabin could be rebuilt. And there they stayed. In fact, one of the posts that was eventually extracted in the 20th century is now on display at the Fort Meigs Museum, left over from the old Harrison Rally. The local townspeople thought it was a good thing that the well had been filled in, because here was something of a dangerous public hazard, an abandoned well in the old fort grounds. Curiosity about the intervening years from the end of the war until it being filled in in 1840 got the best of historians looking for some kind of incident, some kind of accident, some kind of trauma that would have made this indeed a real dangerous public hazard. So for the story of the Garrison Ghost Walk, imaginations went wild for these intervening years and a tragedy was invented. Here now, a poem entitled The Old Fort Meg's Well, which serves as a conversation between two vultures. Inspiration loosely based on the poem Three Ravens of Elizabethan Era, or Twa Corbys in Old Scots. The Old Fort Meg's Well. As I was walking out this fall, I heard two vultures making a call, and the one unto the other did say, Where shall we go and dine today? Well, I know that down that dark, wet hole there lies a scared and new-fallen girl. No one knows she's trapped, it seems. No one's heard her tired, weak little screams. So if hungry you be, I know just the place. We'll get fat for the winter off the skin from her face. So to the fort, to the well, she's all for the take. We'll pause for her dying. Be well worth the wait. And we'll peck at her eyes while they sparkle like stars. Like sweet blue oysters, we'll suck them for hours. We'll devour her lips like a lover in heat and chew them right back to her skull, to her teeth. We'll perch on her collar, the bone wrapped in red, and feast down the hollow that once held her head. Let's rip her hair and fold every lock to line our nests, a guard against the frost. 
Let's tear her fair, fair golden hair to warm the night when winter grows bare. To the fort then, to the well, she's there for the take. We'll pause as she dies. Be well worth the wait. Your invitations sound, my friend. Pray, how did she come to such dismal ends? Well, she did not fall, she did not trip, nor willfully throw herself to the pit. Hated she was by the folks here around, that fair golden hair despised by this town. That fair golden hair will care every lock and pillow our nests, a guard against the frost. When finally three girls of same said age, beauties themselves, but wrapped in red rage, encircled her there at dusk while she dreamed and leveled their hate in dark, twisted deeds. Her beautiful mouth, they hated her so, and shoved down her throat three burning hot coals. And to quench that scorching, that searing hot hell, well, they gave her the water deep down the well. Her company, by smell, in the pitch dark was clear. The corpse of a deer that had fallen last year. And she climbed, and she heaved, and she clawed at that pine, and she fell, and she screamed in frustration each time. For each time she fell, that black liquid stung, and more and more water went down in her lungs. And she coughed, and she called, and she cried, all in vain. No one would come free her from pain. And I saw it all from that old palisade fence. They murdered that girl just two days. Yes, her body's quite wet, friend. I hope you won't mind your meat being tender in such flavorful brine. So to the fort, to the well, she's all for the take. We'll pause for her dying. Be well worth the wait. And all down this hillside, still to this day, the birds' nests be lined with this soft yellow hay. Not hay, per se, but light, tight blonde curls, taken from those that tour these hills. But if you be curly, if you be straight, if you be long, short, I tell you, your bait. Tonight, as you walk, 
do guard against the frost. Your beauty, your hair, your lives could be lost. For you're here in the well. You're here for the take. They'll pause for your dying. You'd be well worth the wait. And if offended you be, pardon you will. It's my job to tell stories that make you feel ill. And that was the tale those two vultures tell to me and now you about the old Fort Meg's well. <laughs>